Hi there, and thank you for joining me for the Parsha Share. This week's Parsha Share is sponsored by Aaron and Lillian Fuchs and Jason Fuchs in memory of Aaron's sister and Jason's aunt, Shandel Gutman. Shandel Gittel, Bas Chaim Shol, Aloha Sholem, whose yard site is on the 11th of Shvat. We're looking at Parsha's boy. I'm going to look at a beautiful piece from Dorsh Modcha. Here's my uh, set of Dorsh Modcha. I'm so, I'm so happy with it. I use it every week. Some really fantastic Vertlech uh, on the Parsha. I highly recommend that those who don't yet have this obtain this safe. Of course, you have to be fluent in, in rabbinic Hebrew. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to try and use as much of his material as I can on my shurim. The Jewish people were given an instruction by Moshe Rabbeinu, that you have to bring a Koran Pesach, uh, and you have to start doing this and that and the other. You're going to have to get a lamb, uh, um, at a particular age, and you're going to have to bring it into your house for a few days before Pesach, and then you're going to have to do shchit on the lamb, you're going to have to eat the lamb um, for Seder night, it was the first ever Seder night, and that was going to be the night when all the Egyptian firstborns are going to die, you are going to live because you have painted your doorposts and your lintels with the blood of the uh, slaughtered lamb, uh, and in that way God is going to know as it were, of course he knows anyway, but he's going to know which houses uh, are the houses of the Jewish people. He's going to pass over those homes. That's where the word Passover comes from. And he's going to only kill the firstborns in Egyptian homes. And uh, they listened to all of these instructions, the Jewish people. And they went, off they went. They did everything that God had commanded um, to Moshe and Aaron, in other words, the instructions that they had been given, Cain Osu, that is what they did. Now Rashi, addressing a very simple question, comes up with a beautiful answer. And it says as follows, osu. Rashi says, had they already done everything uh, that it should be said in the Torah that they had done it, Cain Osu? Not really, they hadn't done it. They were only given these instructions in anticipation of the beginning of the month, and it wasn't going to be for another couple of weeks that they were going to carry out the tasks that had been laid out in front of them. But says Rashi, and he's of course quoting a medrash, seeing as that they had accepted upon themselves the duties and responsibilities, and they had uh, said that they were going to, or at least said to themselves, that they're going to discharge their duties and responsibilities and bring the Koran Pesach, it's as if they had already done the deeds. And the Yalkut, the Medrash, says exactly this. Rashi is really condensing a Yalkut, a beautiful Yalkut, which says that if you have in mind to do something that you have been instructed to do, it's as if you've done it. Well, it's a lovely idea, but it isn't true. And this is really... The, uh, the heart of what the Darsh Modcha is going to be addressing in this piece, in this four-page piece, which I'm going to try and get through in a, in a good time as possible so that I don't keep you for too long. But he, he addresses this uh, question that the fact is they hadn't done it. They hadn't brought the Korban Pesach. They hadn't painted their lintels and their doorposts. They hadn't taken the lamb into their home. And yet the Posuk says... What are we talking about? They hadn't yet done it. So why are they being described 
as if they had. He explains it as follows. Rabbeinu Yoyna says that when a person listens to that which great people tell them, words of admonition, being told off a little bit, you're not doing things quite right, and you hear what the person who's telling you those things is saying, and you accept upon yourself that perhaps you haven't done things as you should have, and you're going to make things better, and you're going to do the right thing going forward. The yachsor b'tshuva, it's a form of teshuva. The yikabel b'libod kol you accept into your heart all the different things that you've been told that you've been doing wrong. You accept it, you take the musar, um, and you take the punch on the nose, and you're willing to accept it. And in fact, you say all the things that they've said that I should do from now on and shouldn't do from now on. You take it upon yourself and say, that's exactly how I'm going to live my life going forward. For that moment, for that moment of acceptance, he comes out of a place of great darkness into a great of unbelievable, overwhelming light. Because at that very moment, at that second, exactly at the moment when you take upon yourself, you accept all the things that you've been told, you listen carefully, and you don't just say to yourself, ah, he's, I've got nothing to do with this, I don't want to listen to any of it, but you, you actually goes to your heart, it cuts through, it penetrates into, your, into the core of your being, and at that particular moment, you say, you know what? I really understand what they're trying to get me to do. And I accept it. And I'm going to do it. And from now on, I'm going to be a much better person. Because I'm going to, I'm going to take it into account. These people know much better than me. After all... I make mistakes, but these people understand that those mistakes have been made and they're trying to improve me and they're only doing it for my benefit. At that moment, even though nothing has happened yet, nothing has changed, but just that moment of acceptance and taking upon yourself that things are going to change, you become a changed person. Something changes inside you. That moment when in your mind things have changed and you take upon yourself, having done nothing yet, but that you're going to do the thing that you're going to do. Unbelievable. At that moment, you take upon yourself all the merit of the mitzvahs, not that you've done, you haven't done them yet, but that you're going to do as if you've done them. Somehow, you're a changed person, but to the extent that the benefit of having done those mitzvahs is already upon you. Uh, an amazing thing. It's an amazing achievement. It's nothing more than mind over matter at that stage, but even the matter isn't there. But your mind has made that, has made that mental jump from being the person you were to being the person that you're going to be. That is a sufficient change to make you a different person. And that's exactly what Chazal are telling us in this Yalkut that's being quoted here by Rashi. Vayelchu vayasu b'nei Yisrael v'chi miyad osu 
did they do it right away? That's what the Medrash says. They didn't do anything proper, full on, until the 14th of the month. But because they had taken upon themselves the duty of responsibility, that they are going to do it, they're going to go ahead with everything that God had commanded them to do, that is sufficient to have turned them into somebody, into people that already had done the act, done the deed. V'hoisif Rabbeinu Yoyna, and Rabbeinu Yoyna adds to this Labar V'onlu. Kol shema'asov marubi michochmosoi, chochmosoi miskayemes. Anybody whose acts are greater than their wisdom, you know what, their wisdom will somehow prevail. The wisdom will be there, but they're people of action. Are you a person of action? That's really what counts, to do something, not to think I might do it, the fact is that you need to do something in order to be a person of wisdom. What does it mean? Shenema na'aseh v'nishma. So Rabbein seems to have a problem with this because the fact is that wisdom is important. And here's, here's the point, the crux of the matter that the uh, Darash Malta brings up. It's something problematic here that Rabbein Yonah wasn't happy with. That he, he, he saw that that intrinsic to this declaration in Ovester Abnosen about something didn't quite add up and he wants to address that problem. How is it possible to say that somebody whose actions are greater than their wisdom, that their wisdom is somehow going to prevail. What does that even mean? It's a lovely statement, but a phrase, a statement, has to have meaning in order for it to be impactful. What is the meaning here? Without the wisdom of the Torah, you know what, you would never do a mitzvah properly. Unless you know what the Torah is telling you to do, you wouldn't know what to do. So what does it mean that your actions have to be first and then your wisdom will come? So he, he has a problem with that because clearly there's something not quite right here in the equation. Because an Amaretz could never be the righteous and a, a fool, somebody who's uneducated, can never be somebody who fears sin. Why? Because they don't know what the sin is. And this is something that happens on a regular basis, that somebody wants to be righteous, wants to do the right thing, and he, and he doesn't reach for a book, or he doesn't reach, uh, or he doesn't call for a, an expert, he just wants to do it based on his or her own logic. You know what? If you're trying to keep mitzvahs and you never look inside the Shulchan Aruch, which is the book which teaches you the way to keep the mitzvahs, or you never ask an expert on Shulchan Aruch how to keep a particular mitzvah, guess what? You're going to do the exact opposite of what the Shulchan Aruch tells you to do. That is standard. Don't expect that your way of working things out, that your logic... That the, the way that you understand the way things should be done is going to accord, is going to be parallel with that which is written in the Shulchan Aruch. And says the Darsh Madcha, this is something which I have experienced, something unfortunately I have encountered on too many occasions. Ask somebody 
who doesn't really know how to paskin halacha, doesn't really know what Jewish law is all about. Mahadin b'chahai gavna. You say to him, what should I do in this particular situation? How should I make the brocha? We're dealing now in, in shul, we're doing every day hilchas brochas. What brocha should I make on this? Or what brocha should I make first? Or, or is, does this get included in the brocha that I've already made? You ask somebody the halacha. The person will answer you based on his own calculations as to what the halacha should be. But Derek Klal, generally speaking, says the Darash Matra, who Generally speaking, you can assume that the person is going to make a mistake and do exactly the opposite of that which is written in the book of Jewish law. In which case, going back to the Mamar Chazal in Office of Reb how could we possibly suggest that um, that your actions are greater than your wisdom, and they have come before the wisdom. It doesn't. The whole concept doesn't make sense. The equation doesn't work out. It sounds lovely, but it has no meaning because it doesn't make sense. But Azeh Kosov Rabbeinu, in which case Rabbeinu had to come up with an answer, and this is the answer he came up with. A person, he says, who accepts upon themselves that they're going to do everything that is right. They're going to go ahead and they're going to do the right thing. Everything that the Torah expects of them and wants them to do. But is going to, oh, she's going to carry out everything that it, those who stand in judgment who are great experts in those in the fields that they are experts in to do with the mitzvahs that they wish to do. They're going to do everything that is expected of them in the expertise of those who know what they're talking about. At that particular moment, they already take upon themselves. That in and of itself is like an act. Because you are taking upon yourself that you're going to do the right thing. Not the thing that you think is right, but that which is objectively right because it's, uh, it's been taught to you or because it's through knowledge that you have studied uh, and from from the places, from the sources that are going to give you the correct information. Because you're going to listen to what the Torah tells you, you're going to understand them, and that's going to be it. And that which you haven't heard, you don't know about. You get schus for everything that you know, for everything that you don't know, but you're going to find out later. And at that particular point in time, the things that you know you'll do, things you don't know, you're going to discover because you're going to seek out the information that will uh, let you know what it is that you need to do. And you will learn and you'll become wiser. You will be knowledgeable based on all those who teach you and everything that you learn. The Nimta Isha Zemas of Marubi and you tell that person their actions are more than their wisdom because that which they know they know and that which they don't know they don't know but they're going to find out those things they don't know but even though they don't yet know exactly how to do that particular thing you've already received the benefit the merit of having done it is with you why? because you are going to find out. What you know, you do. What you don't know, you're going to do. And that wisdom is going to prevail. And that is comparable to that which the Jewish people said, the Israelites, at the foot of Mount Sinai. 
express their zeal by saying, Naseh Benishma, we will do the Nishma and we will listen. But we will do that which we do. We already know how to do. For example, they already knew how to keep Shabbos because they had already received the mitzvah of Shabbos. There are certain aspects of Shabbos they may not have known. So those things, the Nishma, Nishma, they're going to they're going to find that out, but they already get the benefit of the Nishma because they are Naser people. Even before they heard exactly how to fulfill a mitzvah, they had already accepted upon themselves that they're going to do the mitzvah properly, not based on their own uh, logic and their own rationale as to how a mitzvah should be performed. Because of course, in any other aspect of the human condition. We could never say that a person's act is greater um, than their wisdom because if they don't know what they're doing, then what they're doing is wrong, and that obviously it's not going to be the right thing. Okay, that's what Rabbeinu Yoyna says. Continues the Darash Madcha Ulam Hiksha Mashkiach Agonatzadik Rabbechesko Levenstein. Zatzal. Rabbechesko Levenstein, of course, the great Mashkiach of Mir, who stuck it out with the Bokram in Shanghai during the Second World War came via San Francisco to New York in 1946. And in 1948, he traveled to, from the United States to the uh, Medinat Israel when the state of Israel was established, became the, initially he was the Mashkiach in Mir in Yerushalayim. But soon afterwards, um, after the passing uh, in the 1950s, in the early 1950s of uh, Rabbi Dessler in Ponovich, he became the Mashkiach of Ponovich for almost 20 years. He passed away in 1972. He was known as the great Mashkiach of Eretz Yisrael, the person whose words were sought out by everybody in the Torah world because he was such a pure and holy soul. Anyway, he he says as follows, the Soif Soif Loi Osu. He says, the fact is, it's all very nice, Rabbeinu Yonah, what he says is beautiful, but in the end the question still stands. You haven't done that which you said you were going to do, and even if you know that you're going to do it properly, you still haven't done it. So, How can it say that they did it? Says Chaska Levenstein, a fantastic yesod, a foundational principle. When you decide you want to do a mitzvah, how can you do the mitzvah? Only because Hashem gives you the ability to do that mitzvah. If Hashem didn't give you the ability to do the mitzvah, you wouldn't be able to do it. So that which you've taken upon yourself to do the mitzvah, and even as you're doing it, is only because God gives you the ability and the capability of performing that particular task which relates to the mitzvah. The truth is, the only thing that we have, which is personal to us, is the desire, the will, to do the mitzvah. Everything else that follows is God giving us the ability to do that mitzvah. When we decide to do it and we begin the process of doing it, everything that follows is God allowing us to do it. To take the thoughts that you had in your mind, in your brain, in your conscience, to do the mitzvah and allow them to become a part of the reality of the, uh, of the things that go on in the world. You decide, for example, you're going to make a bracha. Now, 
if you're not able to speak at that moment in time, then it doesn't matter how much you've got it in your head to make a bracha, you're not going to be able to make the bracha. So now you decide you're going to make a bracha, and then your mouth begins to articulate it, and your vo vocal cords, your voice, sounds the bracha. Guess where that comes from? That comes from Hashem. Hashem has enabled you to do a bracha. You want to give tzedakah. I pledge I'm going to give $1,000 to charity. Okay, it's a lovely thing. It's in your head. Now you want to do the mitzvah. You take out your checkbook. You write a check for $1,000. And you give that check for $1,000 to whichever charity you've chosen to give it to. That ability to do the thing that you decided you want to do, that comes from Hashem. But the thought, that's yours. The thought belongs to you. That's what Trubchasko Levenstein's foundational principle is. So even at that moment when, when you conceive of doing the mitzvah, that becomes the moment when the mitzvah begins and it's if, as if you've done it. Because at that moment in time, you've finished everything that you're going to do in terms of the mitzvah. What follows is all God enabling you through all the acts that you do to do the mitzvah and carry it out. Okay. Continues the Dorash Modcha. Ach hagom balasfas emes atzal higsha kushonero. Sfas emes has what we would refer to in the Torah world a famous, as a famous question. It's a, it's a very well-known question on um, this week's Parsha, that the Sfas Emes asks, he's not the only one to ask it, certainly not the only one to answer it, but the question is always referenced to the Sfas Emes. How did the Jewish people find the strength? How were they so brave, unbelievably brave, to take a god of Egypt? Think about it. A god of Egypt, the sheep, the lamb, was a god of Egypt. I once wrote about it, and I actually put on the article a picture of an ancient uh, um, uh, mural, the hieroglyphics in Egypt, which shows the head of a lamb on a human body, the head of a sheep on a human body, and that was an Egyptian god. How did the Jewish people have the bravery, the courage, to take that god of Egypt and to, and to kill it. I mean, it, 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 can you think of such a thing? It, it, it's inconceivable. Let's try, try and think of a, a comparable analogy for today. Somebody who goes into one of the Arab villages, the most dangerous ones, ones where you're not protected, stand in the street shall ear and curse out the prophet of the Muslims. Can you imagine doing such a thing? Can you can you even think of ever doing such a thing? He's never going to get out of there alive. I mean that it's a fact. They were, you you won't escape from that. In which case, how did the Jewish people? That's exactly the same thing. How did they have the the chutzpah? They were slaves in that land. They weren't yet free. I know we know the end of the story, but at that stage, they're not yet being freed. They're in grave danger. How did they have the courage to go and take a god of Egypt? 
Their lives hanging by a thread. Every second, the Egyptians could kill them. How did they have the courage? This is Svas Emes's question. Famous, well-known question on this week's Parsha. And in fact, he says, the Darash Malchus presents another perspective from the Moir Vashamesh. Who was uh, one of the earliest um, of the Hasidic writers, famous Rebbe in Krakow. And he wrote the Moir Vashamesh, he was in the 19th century. He asks the following question. Why are we so impressed? He says, and he cast them from a totally different perspective. Why are we so impressed that the Jewish people performed this one mitzvah? Why are we so impressed? How many mitzvahs do the Jewish people have in Egypt? One. One mitzvah. What was their mitzvah? They have to bring a korban Pesach. That was it. This is not such a famous question. He says, what was the big deal that they did this one mitzvah? You asked to do one thing and you did one thing. Big deal. Why are we so impressed? Mavara Marva Shamesh and he explains as follows. Shakodish Borchom ala Moshe Shadam ha Pesach yela ois al habotim. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Do you know what they have to do with the blood of the Paschal lamb, of the Korban Pesach? They have to put it as a sign on their homes. Bakach yinatzlu ha Yehudim min ha Mashchis ashe Yovoi lingoif es Mitzrayim. That's how the Jewish people are going to be saved from the terrible plague and the affliction of the killing of the firstborn that's going to uh, it's going to sweep over the entire country of Egypt. Everybody is going to be affected. How are they going to be saved? By painting blood on the doorposts. The alzeh hishmiyonu hakosuf she'afalpi. And here we can, from this we can see that uh, the Posuk is telling us that even though this, this was a mitzvah, that their lives depended on it, that this mitzvah, I mean, that it was the only way that they could save themselves from being killed by Hashem. I mean, that's a frightening thought. God is going to sweep over an entire country and every firstborn is going to get killed unless, unless... There is blood on the doorposts of their home. So this is an important mitzvah to them to carry out. They didn't do it because they were going to be saved by doing this mitzvah. And that's what the Posuk is telling us. Do you know why they did it? Because Hashem told Moshe that this is what the Jewish people have to do. We're not doing it to save ourselves. We're doing it because we want to do avoid us Hashem properly. We want to serve Hashem. That's why they did it. Kuloi l'shem shamayim. Everything for the sake of heaven. Nothing because it would mean that they would have salvation and redemption. But now the, the kasha becomes much stronger. The question of the svasemes. Because think about it. What they're doing is l'shem shamayim. They're not even doing it because they're going to save themselves. Because that somehow could answer the question. Of course they were doing it. Because it was the only way they can get out of being killed. So they would prefer to not get killed than to be punished by the Egyptians. Svatsemes, now using Moeva Shamesh's logic, has a much stronger question. They weren't even doing it for that. They were doing it because Hashem had commanded them to do it. Heim osu pa'ula shal nefesh they did something which was inc- incredibly brave, life-threatening indeed. It was life-threatening. And they 
didn't do it because they were going to get any benefit out of it. They did it for the sake of heaven. Where did the Jewish people get the koach, the bravery, the courage to do such an incredible thing? Says the Dorosh Ma'otcha V'nir Lebar Nire Lebar Al Pi Ma She Bi Aru Rabbi Seinu B'Biru Ma She Omar Kodesh Baruch Hu Lemoshe. We can use the pasuk which is earlier on in Shmois. Remember, God encounters Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush. He says to him, "Shall not Alecha Me Araglecha." Take your shoes off your feet. Because the land upon which you are standing is holy land. It's sacred land. Take your shoes off. It's not appropriate that you should be wearing shoes in such a place. And the foundation for all of this is that Moshe Rabbeinu asked God, what is the merit that the Jewish people have that they should be saved from slavery in Egypt. Why would they have this incredible, powerful benefit of God's mercy? What had they done to achieve that level that God would save them from Egypt? Do you know who they were? These are people already worshipping Avodah Zorah. They got caught up in the culture of Egypt. They were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. The way they are described by Chazal is that they had sunk to the 49th level of impurity, of spiritual impurity. There's only one more level, the 50th. And if they got to the 50th, if they got beyond the 49th, then they weren't worthy of being saved. So weren't that they weren't great people. So why would God save them? And God answered him. Beautiful peace. He says, Shall na lecho me Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Because the land on which you are standing, it's sacred. It's holy land. What does he mean? You need to know. The Jewish people are not like other people. They're not like other nations. Do you know what, where they come from? Do you know where they emanate from? They emanate from sacred soil. They, their roots are in the holy patriarchs, the holy forefathers. Those patriarchs planted for them. In the soil, as it were, koiches nefesh, incredible spiritual powers, pnimium, internal to them. You can't explain it. You inherited it through genetics as a Jewish person. Shehem bivchino ahava mesuteres. Fact is, the Jewish people are not operating on their own. They're not independent of their past. They are. They have inherited their past. They have parents, grandparents, great grandparents, ancestors stretching all the way back. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Avram Avinu, Yitzchak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, incredible people, sacred soil. You are, you are the offshoots. You are the plants that have grown out of sacred earth, sacred soil. And even though externally, as it were, they are idol worshippers. They are profane in every respect. In the innermost heart. Let's be clear. That innermost element of a Jew 
contains with it the spark and the spirit that was implanted into them by Avram Avinu, by Abraham. The emuna, the devoted faith, is something that really is shining from within them. And that's why they are worthy of being saved. They are worthy of salvation. The founding Rosh Hashiva of Elohim Yeshiva wrote, Baruch Chaim, he wrote it in the Sefer Ruach Chaim, The Posuk, the Mishnah says that Avraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, went through ten tests. Kan Omar Avraham Avinu, the Mishnah uses the phrase Avraham Avinu, or the title Avinu to Avraham at that particular moment. But earlier on, when talking about the different generations that began, um, uh, the, the Mishnah goes through the different generations. That stage it just says Noach until Avraham that there were ten generations. But it doesn't say that Avraham at that stage is Avraham Avinu. But when it talks about the tests, it refers to Avraham as Avraham if a tzaddik goes in his perfection and is doing that which a tzaddik does, then happy are his descendants after him. Because all of the different attributes, character traits that a person works on, that a great righteous person works on, do you know what? Levonov Achrov Hema Keteva Mutva Uvektes Yagia Yagia Lozer. Unbelievable. If your fathers and grandfathers put effort, effort and energy into building a certain type of personality and personality trait within them, guess what? You're not going to have to work so hard to get there because you have it. It's already in your genes. You've already inherited that ability from your father, your grandfather, and for us as Jews, all the way back to Avraham Avinu. Many of those who are so-called ignorant within the Jewish sphere, ready to give up their lives. Unbelievable. We're seeing it now in the war in Gaza. People who have no connection to Yiddishkeit, no connection to their Jewish faith, are willing to sacrifice their lives for the Jewish spirit. They're not running away. I remember last year in 2022 in Ukraine, when the war began, all the men of, uh, of age uh, that, you know, that could be conscripted into the Ukrainian army were trying to escape, trying to get out of Ukraine. Even people who are so-called very patriotic, they were trying to run away and they, were, and they were being stopped at the border by the Ukrainian border police. And of course, they didn't want to go to war. They were scared of dying. It makes perfect sense. But if they're so patriotic, if they are such Ukrainian patriots, why wouldn't they stand up and fight against the Russians? Do you know what? I've not heard of one person from the from the Miluim, um, who has uh, the duty and obligation to fight in Eretz Yisrael because they live in Israel, who's run away, who's escaped that obligation and found some alternative place to be while the war rages in Gaza. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the ten tests of Avraham Avinu. That ability to do something which somehow 
you know nothing about. You don't really, you've never worked on it. Nobody there, uh, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the people who are not connected to their Judaism may not even know about Avram Avinu. But somehow it's easier. It's been tr- genetically transmitted to them that they can have this ability to give up their lives and to risk their lives. That's the way to, to really put it. To risk their lives for the sake of the Jewish people and for the sake of Eretz Yisrael. Um, all of these um, of these ten tests were there to kind of to forge the path in front of us everything comes stems from this idea of God told Avram Avinu what was he saying to him? He was saying, uproot yourself, go to the Holy Land, do it. Where do, where do we get this Koyach nefesh, the Jewish people, to risk everything we have for Eretz Yisrael, for Israel? Where do we have it from? It goes back all the way to Avram Avinu, who was willing to risk his entire life, to take everything, uh, to lose everything, so that he could go to where God had told him to go. That's where we get it from. The Kabbalah's call, the Ovdim Mishmaya. That which we have the ability to take everything that, that heaven pushes our way, that, that ability, that bravery, that you know where it comes from? It comes from Avram Avinu Hashem At no stage did Avram Avinu ever say, God, why are you doing this to me? He was willing to take it on and he was willing to do whatever God expected of him, even in the most difficult and challenging of circumstances. And from this idea, the Dubna Magid explains um, our request that we say during Slichus. What do we say? He who answered Avram Avinu at the Mount Moriah, that was at the Akedah, he should answer us. Avram Avinu, how do we have the chutzpah? To compare ourselves to Avram Avinu, Bishar Sheomad Benisoyan, when he was standing the greatest of all the tests, Shahya Nukudas Hasibachayov, this was the pinnacle of his life, the greatest test that anybody could go through, but he went through it. At that stage, God said to him, I know that you are uh, somebody who fears God. I understand, because look what you're doing, what you're willing to do. The Akeda bound his son and was ready to sacrifice him. How do we compare ourselves to Avram Avinu at that moment in his life that he, we can say, as you answered Avram, so too you should answer us? We're not saying we are like Avram Avinu, says the Darash Matra, and he's quoting the Dubna Magid. He's saying, we're not saying that we are like Avram Avinu, we're saying we should let, let us at least benefit through the merit of Avram Avinu. We have all of us inside us a little bit of Avram Avinu. Find that Avram Avinu God and answer that part of us. The very purest innermost part of every Jewish person's neshama is an Avram Avinu section. And that section is what we're saying when we say, He's going to answer us. Please answer us. He's going to answer the Avram Avinu like he answered the original Avram Avinu. We've inherited those character traits and we have an Avram Avinu inside us. And that is what God is going to answer when he answers us, he, that part of us is willing to do anything for 
for Judaism, for our faith, for the Jewish people, for the Holy Land, and everything. And that's what we are saying when we say, That answers the Sfasemis' question. How did they have the Koyach nefesh How did they have the strength? How did they have the courage? How did they have the bravery to slaughter the God of the Egyptians? You know why? Because they were descendants of Avram Avinu. They found the Avram Avinu in them and they did it. That's why they did it. They didn't question it. They didn't second guess it. They didn't kick the tires. They weren't trying to get away from it. They weren't trying to run away and had to be held back to do it. Not at all. They just took the God of Egypt. They slaughtered it as they had been instructed. This indeed is the innermost soul the innermost soul of every Jew. Even if they are have sunk as low as the 49th level of ritual impurity. They're totally non-spiritual. They're not connected. They're atheists. They're whatever you want them to be. They're communists. They're socialists. They're, they're, they're whatever you want them to be. They're completely drawn into the world of capitalism. They're making money. Every aspect that you can imagine of the impurities that can infect a person's personality and character has somehow implanted itself into the Jew. Nevertheless, deep within that Jew is the soul of Avraham Avinu, the soul of someone who can withstand every test and is willing to take any risk for the sake of God and for the sake of the Jewish people. You should know something, says the Darsh Matra. This particular trait is something that's deeply embedded in us, in this, the final generation, before the Messianic era. We think sometimes to ourselves, on what basis is God ever going to redeem us? On what basis could we ever believe that the Mashiach is going to come and the Messianic era is going to be upon us. What benefit, what merit do we have to be worthy of such a great end to the Jewish story? We need to know that doesn't matter what happens, whatever it is, this Pintelayid that is based on the strength and the character of our forefathers and our ancestors is something that's so deeply embedded inside us that that will come to the rescue, that is coming to the rescue, to make sure that we can get the benefit of whatever it is that God is going to grant us in this, the end of days. Um, Dura, you know, the, the famous story of the dry bones. But Omru Bigmara Sanhedrin, the Gemara says, well, what's, what's the story there? The Tanya Rebeleza Omer. The Gemara says that a strange thing. It says that these dead bones that Yecheskel uh, brought to life, they stood on their feet. And they stood up, they sang a song of praise to God, and then they died again. Ma Shira Omru. Which song did they say? Which Shira? Hashem Memis Betzedek Umechaye Barachmim. That's the song they sang. Those are the lyrics of the song that God uh, kills um, with righteousness and he brings to life with mercy. Rabbi Yeshua 
Aimer Shira Zu Amru. He says a different Shira they said, and he quotes a, a Shira from Shmuel Aleph, Perik Beis, Hashem Memis, Machaya Moed, Sha'el Vayah. Another Shira that they sang also on the same theme. Rabbi Yehuda Aimer, Emes Marshal Haya. It says, true that this was an analogy, it was a parable. Amalayr bin Chemya, Im Emes, Lower Marshal. If it's true, why would you say it's a parable? The emotional, if it's a parable, Lama Emes, and how is it how is it possible it's true? You can't have it both ways. Either it is true or it isn't true. To which we responded, he said, In truth, it was a parable. This is a strange thing. He says that these dead bones that Yechesko brought to life, they came on Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. The Nosu Noshim, and they married women, Vahilidu Bonim Ubonis, and they had sons and daughters. Omad Rabbi Yehuda ben Besera al Ragla, Vahoma, Animi ben Ebenahim. And you know what? Rabbi Yehuda ben Besera sprang up and he said, I am descended from these dry bones. Vahalolu Tfilin Chaniachli Ovi Abba Mehem. And this, these Tfilin that I'm wearing, I inherited from them. Oman Ninhu, Mesim Shech Yocheskel Omarav. Elu bnei Ephraim, Shemonu lekates the toll, and the uh, the uh, the final piece of the Gemara is who were these Mesim? Who were these dead people that Yechezkel brought back to life? These are the descendants of Ephraim, the children of Ephraim, who tried to bring forward the end, the end of days, and they made a mistake, and that's why they died. Uh, they weren't unfortunately able uh, to bring that moment into a reality. What is this teaching us? The Dorish Malta says it's teaching us a profound lesson. It's a parable, but it's also true. We are those dry bones because we don't have the life of our ancestors. And yet within us is this pintula, is this tiny speck of, of unbelievable light, of overwhelming light, the light that shone out of Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov the light of the forefathers, the light of the patriarchs, that enables us to bring ourselves to life and to be that which we need to be in order so that we can bring about the greatness of the messianic age. We are able, all we need to do, it's mind over matter. Our mind can make the dry bones come to life. Our mind can enable us to sing Shira, to sing a song to Hashem, our minds can enable the coming of Mashiach. And all the problems and all the tests and all the challenges that we face, and there are many, and they are grave, and they are extremely difficult. They are all just steps along the way. Because in the end, if the Jewish people in Egypt were able to slaughter the Egyptian god, because that's what God commanded them to do. And they were able to do so because Avraham had come before them. How much more so are we able to slaughter the lamb that is the God of the world that is out to destroy us and to embrace God? It's in anticipation of that which will be done. And yet it's as if we have already done it. We'll leave it here. Thank you.